Bing bong, I am back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Alexandra. And wow, she does a lot for the space. She's founded the Advanced Tech Podcast, which is more of a tech podcast where she's introducing techies into Bitcoin. She interviews founders, leaders, and developers in the emerging tech space. She's an executive director for Open Crypto Foundation, and as crypto as in cryptography, she is not a shit coiner. She's a Bitcoin maxi. That is for sure. She co-founded the Vancouver Bitcoiners slash Van BitDevs meetup group and is led by an executive committee, but she is one of those, and they're having a great meetup next week on Thursday with BTC Sessions as one of the hosts, and he's also hosting a workshop, so be sure to check that out if you're in the Vancouver area. She's also on the leadership team of Team Satoshi, a Bitcoin and fitness group that promotes both fitness and Bitcoin, uh, gets together and does some great fundraising. She's also written for Citadel 21 and the BTC Times, and she's contributed to multiple works published anonymously. She brings an absolute wealth of knowledge, and we dive into some excellent, excellent topics surrounding the Bitcoin space. Nick Carter versus the Bitcoin Maxis. If you're living under a rock or not on Bitcoin Twitter, this is a story that just keeps on giving, and we dive into Bitcoin maximalism, Voyager filing for bankruptcy, core scientific and Bitcoin miners, with the potential of having to sell off some of their Bitcoin holdings, El Salvador and Big Balls Bukele buying 80 more Bitcoin. Not a lot, but you know he likes to tweet it out, and he's a DCAer just like the rest of us. Duke Energy, second largest energy corp, researching Bitcoin mining, and lastly, the EU pushing for surveillance on Bitcoin transactions. So as always. This is not financial advice, so please do not take it as financial advice. Do your own due diligence. And everything said in this podcast is strictly my opinion and Alexandra's opinion and should be taken for information purposes only. Now let's get into the show. Whoosh. Bing bong. We are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. But first, I'd like to thank my node for helping me set up and getting Podcasting 2.0 all set up. So if you are not listening on Podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain or Breeze, you should check me out there. Uh, if you'd like and you like the content, feel free to send me some sats. And if you are interested in running your own Bitcoin node, you should check out my node at mynodebtc and mynodebtc.com. Uh, they set me up with everything great. You can get it all set up or you can get it all in parts separately. They have hardware and software. Overall, just great stuff out of my node. And now I have a very, very special guest, Alexandra933. Alexandra, how are you doing today? <laughs> Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That's great. That's great. So um, you have done quite, quite a bit in the Bitcoin space um, and, you know, the greater, I guess, crypto realm as well. But Let's start it all from the beginning. Uh, tell us about your orange pill story. How did you find Bitcoin and uh, you know how are you kind of here today? Sure. So I first ended up, uh, let's see, I heard about it in 2016. Uh, there was a meetup 
place that a bunch of us went to called Decontrol here in Vancouver. It used to be called Decentral. It was more of a, I guess, just like a, a crypto thing. It wasn't so much focused on Bitcoin, although it was a Bitcoin meetup that I went to, I think. <laughs> anyway, and just general tech. Um, so to back things up, I am a Bitcoiner. I'm not at all crypto. I am involved with the Open Crypto Foundation, but it's crypto as in cryptography. So I am a Bitcoiner first. I am a maximalist. So... Um, that's me. Um, I became Bitcoin only in 2018. So uh, like many people, um, you know, the very beginning, you're like, oh, what's this new tech and this new tech? You're kind of in discovery mode. But um, I'm happy to say that I only I almost accidentally bought one coin, <laughs> not in Bitcoin, but in something else. And it didn't go through, thankfully. So I still have that Bitcoin there. So so that worked out well. There you go. It works. Everything <laughs> works out in the end. And I think everybody, you know, kind of has their their own little journey. Maybe people dabble in it and uh, in shit coinery every now and then. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, they, they kind of see the light. So um, as I kind of stated earlier, you have, a, you have a lot of stuff going on. So you're the founder of the Advanced Tech Podcast, where you interview founders, leaders, developers, and emerging tech in the space. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that podcast? You know, what kind of drove you to start that? And, uh, you know, what's your biggest takeaway that that you've had, you know, being able to speak to a lot of these, you know, founders and, and developers in this emerging space? Yeah. Um, so with the show, it started out more toward um, open source tech. So that's why we've always kind of had that focus. Um, so some early guests were Richard Stallman, uh, who's super famous in uh, the free software space, uh, father of the, mo of the movement itself, uh, Free Software Foundation. Um, so it was, uh, it kind of started there initially. So how I got involved in this space, I was a co-host on Vancouver Tech Podcast for about six months uh, here in Vancouver with, uh, obviously Vancouver Tech Podcast, <laughs> with, uh, with Drew uh, Ogrizic. And he'll uh, he'll kill me for butchering his name, but it's approximately that. Um, so we did a weekly show on tech, and we focused on meetups around town. Um, we inter usually interviewed guests. We'd have like, CTOs or developers on from different local companies, and that was really good. And that's kind of where I got my feet wet. Um, I always wanted to have more of a broader focus, so I started my own in 2017. I did have a co-host uh, for a while, a co-founder, uh, Adam Dimitric, who's CEO of Adaptech Group, which is actually where we have Vancouver Bitcoiners now, which is kind of awesome. Um, so, yeah, it uh, that's basically where the show started, and then it turned more into... It's, it's not purely a Bitcoin focus. This is why I say emerging tech, because it's all things that are future forward looking, but grounded in reality. So we'll look at machine learning. We'll look at people who have built. Um, when it comes to cryptocurrency, it's only Bitcoin. And I, what I want to kind of do is softly introduce Bitcoin to a larger tech crowd. And they'll be like, well, why isn't she talking about Ethereum or NFTs? It's like, well, because in the long run, they really don't matter. So it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin first, and then all of the other surrounding tech. And we've got um, a couple of really good episodes in the pipeline. The podcast is on hiatus until probably the end of the summer. But there's a couple of great episodes coming up uh, with some lightning experts that I'm really looking forward to putting up. That's awesome. Awesome stuff. So it sounds like a really interesting show. And if everybody, uh, you know, let me know when it when it drops and I'll be sure to mention it and uh, on that show to kind of, you know, help bring some people back and uh, while at, after it comes off of hiatus. But um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. You're the executive director of Open Crypto Foundation, crypto mm -hmm. as a cryptographer, crypt 
photography. Ugh, excuse me. <laughs> but why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, what is the Open Crypto Foundation? What kind of stuff do you guys do? And what's the end goal of uh, this foundation? Yeah, so basically we started, uh, we formed, we changed names. We were the Open Crypto Alliance. So we were operating as that for a couple of, almost a couple of years. We started in uh, 2020 uh, November. And it was basically a group of us, um, how I got connected uh, when I went over to uh, to Prague, to HCPP, uh, a couple of people that were part of that were there and approached me and said, you know, um, we we're working on stuff that you think we think you might be interested in as well. So um, come check us out. So I did. And basically, it's a group of lawyers and cryptographers uh, from all around the world and distributed parts. Um, half of us are public facing, half of us are completely private and anonymous, um, which I think is really cool because you can do a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, so that's really good. Um, basically, we are um, we are our whole mission is fighting against ba bad actors in this space. And there's a couple of very famous, um, well-known ones, <laughs> not, <laughs> I guess, infamous would probably be a better word. Um, from the very beginning, we we had kind of who um, our targets were on our initial website. But uh, I made sure I'm like, well, we're going to be a huge target if we just like out and out say, you know, what we're against and who we're against. But broadly, we are against people using technology um, in a greedy and selfish way. Uh, we very much support the open source movement. Uh, we believe software should be free, information so it should be free, and free in the sense of um, liberty, not free in the sense of no cost. Um, so that's something that we believe in. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is standing up some community funds for, um, I can't talk too specifically about it, but uh, I guess community funds, community defense funds for people who are in need. Uh, so I know that there's one um, core developer uh, lawsuit that's kind of in the, the news headlines right now. And uh, those types of campaigns are going to be what we're going to be fundraising for. Um, we're also going to be opposing patents. So in uh, when a patent is filed, you have a short window uh, between when the patent's granted and when, when it can be opposed. So some of our lawyers have uh, database alerts looking for um, broadly uh, blockchain, crypto, uh, patents because that's usually the language that's used. Um, so we have an they have an alert for that, and as soon as something comes up that kind of fits the, um, I guess fits our mandate, uh, we'll start looking at defending that. And um, we are looking to fundraise uh, pretty substantially. Um, again, I uh, I can't talk too too much about it, but keep an eye on our Twitter handle. We're Open Crypto X, and we'll announce as soon as we can. Awesome stuff. So it seems like this is kind of targeted a little bit more towards uh, developers. Is that is that kind of right? Am, am I correct on there? Or is it just kind of a little bit more broad than that? Um, basically, it's any bad actors in the space and patent trolls. We are specifically formed to be a, I guess, a defense against patent trolls. So um, there's a few other bodies in the space. So there's COPA, which is probably the most famous one. That's Crypto Open Patent Alliance. And that's actually why we uh, looked at changing our name because we were a little bit too close and we're kind of similar to our mandate. We just, uh, we look at instead opposing versus uh, COPA is a really great patent pool. They have a number of incredible companies that are associated. And um, so, yeah, that's, um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> No, that's perfectly fine. And I think this is actually kind of a, a hot button topic right now, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially with 
know, all the exchanges and, and everything like that kind of going on. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if you caught it either, but, uh, you know, I think maybe an hour or two before we, we started this stream, I saw tweets circulating that, um, you know, there's uh, the case of, of Mount Gox has finally settled and people who lost their Bitcoin in the Mount Gox fiasco uh, are now allegedly getting them back. I'm not sure how that's going to work or where that's coming from or anything like that. So, you know, I think as this space develops, that's definitely going to be something that's that's definitely needed and needed a lot more, um, especially as more regulation, more bad actors uh, come in and it's just kind of, uh, you know, nature of the beast over here in, in this world. But um, good on you for, for starting on that. And yeah, uh, sounds like you guys can definitely help a lot of people. And uh, it, like I said, I, I think it's definitely going to be more needed uh, as we get kind of farther along in this space. And then, 100%. yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, from there too, not only have you founded, uh, are you the exec executive director of Open Crypto? You're also co-founded the Vancouver, Vancouver Bitcoiners meetup and the Vancouver BitDevs meetup group. Um, so tell us about like running a, a meetup group. Um, we actually have Joey from the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast in here. So, um, he's, uh, I, I know that there's a big meetup with, uh, the plate, like and pleb who's setting that up, uh, coming, I think in the 16th, I want to say, um, I don't want to get that wrong or anything like that. So Joey, if you're listening in the chat, be sure to give the details, but, uh, tell us what it's like to kind of run that meetup and, uh, how that's been. Um, you know, through these, uh, I guess this roller coaster ride on the price that, that we got going on. <laughs> well, first of all, um, in the, I mean, ultimately, I suppose it does a little bit, but price doesn't really matter. It's about the technology and what it unlocks. And if you understand the equation and, you know, everything, so infinity divided by 21 million, um, I mean, that's, to me, that's what Bitcoin really is. It's a store of value, um, money that actually holds value. And it's something that we haven't seen for a really long time, especially since we've uh, completely separated from the, the gold standard um, for the dollar. So Vancouver Bitcoiners, uh, so Vancouver is an interesting place. <laughs> I have to be a little careful. I'm not gonna name names, but there are a few exchanges and a few other, um, I guess, I don't know what you call them, just companies that, um, have made great promises and they've swindled a lot of money and they've gotten themselves in a lot of hot water. Some have filed bankruptcy. Uh, some founders have uh, mysteriously disappeared. Uh, we had the Vancouver Stock Exchange, which was a ginormous failure, um, home of Ponzi schemes, many of them. And unfortunately, um, Vancouver kind of has this bad rap. Um, we are, I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. But uh, it's also Hollywood North. There's a lot of film that's done here, uh, pickup scenes and things like that. Um, and Vancouver's weird because it's traditionally a like a, a natural resources um, based economy. So you know, um, mining, uh, forestry, uh, oil and gas, not as much, but uh, those two, uh, where it comes to resources, that's kind of what Vancouver was built on. If you look at um, the early days. And so when it comes to tech, I think we've tried to compete. We've tried to call ourselves Silicon Valley North, but ultimately when somebody gets a big enough idea, they end up going uh, south of the border or somewhere else where there's actually a uh, venture. And I think that that's, um, I don't know if that's having to do with just people in Vancouver are kind of tire kickers. They like to talk and talk and talk. And, you know, then they're like, yeah, maybe I'll invest, you know, $100,000. And then six months later, they'll change their mind and you're broken bankrupt already. So it's, 
Um, it's a shame versus anywhere else in the world, uh, capital flows a, a lot more freely. So one of the reasons that's a very long winded way of saying why Vancouver Bitcoiners is formed. Um, we are Bitcoiners first. I kicked off the group in January and it's actually an offshoot of a, a previous group called Decentralized Vancouver. So Decentralized Vancouver is uh, was a, initially it's uh, shut down now but it's initially one of the decentralized chapters uh, associated with the University of Nicosia. So I founded the Vancouver chapter in 2018. I was a chapter president for a couple of years. Um, and then we had a couple of events going uh, going well. We had a good crowd and gathering and then uh, COVID hit. So all of the events were pretty much uh, kiboshed. And so it just, it takes a lot to do something virtually and people were just kind of getting used to that not really sure what was going on. And so we just um, just decided to, to pause. And then so in January, I was thinking, you know, now's a good time to get this up and going. So I put out just a general call to all of my contacts. And all the only people that showed up were Bitcoiners, uh, people involved in Lightning, privacy. Uh, what else? Uh, that's pretty much it. So I looked around the room and I said, you know, even though we've been a Bitcoin first group, uh, we're now officially a, a Bitcoin only group. And, you know, let's figure out what we're going to do. First, um, the first group was a social. And then we kind of thought about what we're going to do for a format. Uh, we settled on speakers. And then a couple months in, um, Alex approached us. Uh, so totally different Alex. Um, he was associated with the um, with the BitDevs New York chapter, I think, and um, proposed the idea that we have BitDevs. So we do kind of a hybrid format. So basically what we do um, we start off, we usually have a guest MC or we'll have open mic for, you know, if people want to come up and announce things. We always have a live stream because uh, I believe it's very important to reach out to a global audience. Um, you never know where, where people are going to be. And uh, we also have in person, which I also think is very important. Uh, so we'll start off with a speaker. We'll get into the bit devs topics. We'll pause. We'll go into another speaker and then we'll, we'll resume the bit devs topics. And so we follow the traditional bit devs uh, Socratic format. So the discussion is about an hour and a half and it's, it's broken up by two speakers, um, shorter sessions uh, with questions encouraged. So, uh, so far we have had uh, Leonard Weiss from Lightning Labs. We've had JB55 who's working on uh, Damas, which is a, an implementation, um, basically an open communication protocol utilizing Noster. Um, so you can find that at Damas app and damas.io. Um, some really cool things happening there. I spoke, um, we've had, who else have we had? We had Katie, uh, Katie Ananina from Plan B Passport, and uh, she was awesome. Uh, and then this month, uh, next week, next Thursday, the 14th of July, we have Roman, one of the co-founders of Bitcoin Beach, calling in. And Celine Jin, who's formerly at Blockstream, uh, she led UX and design there, and she's uh, gone independent, so she's going to talk about Bitcoin design. Um, so that's it. That's awesome. That's so uh, how frequently do you guys meet? Is it like a once a week, once a month kind of thing? <laughs> once a week, we'd all be... <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we'd all be exhausted. Um, it's uh, once a month. So we're usually every third Thursday. Um, and if people want to find us, uh, you can go to Van Bitcoiners on Twitter. Um, we usually, um, if we have a, once we've figured out what we're going to be doing for that month, we'll, we'll pin that as our tweet. Um, you can sign up via Meetup and uh, the live stream as well will be there. And if people don't want to sign up for Meetup, if they're concerned about their privacy, um, we always post the live stream day of. So just watch our Twitter account and you're welcome to join the live stream if you're joining us remotely. Um, yeah. That's awesome stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's really interesting because I, t I talk to, you know, a lot of 
people through this podcast and a lot of them are in some way, shape or form involved in some meetup. And it seems like every single one has their own kind of flavor to it, which I think is awesome. You know, some of them are, you know, kind of how you described it, the beginning one, a little bit more social, you know, maybe just come meet up, have a drink, um, you know, a beer or whatever, um, just socialize with some of the local Bitcoiners. Some of them are more formal where it's more teaching, uh, you know, kind of going the ins and outs, maybe like a Bitcoin 101. And then, you know, some are more development and some have like guest speakers and things like that. And you know, I think overall, you know, it, it's awesome to see, you know, people like yourself kind of organizing them because I know it, it takes a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> And uh, at the beginning, you know, I, I did mention price, not because I, I care about it, but because I know personally from the meetup that I go to here in Tampa is that uh, when the price is ripping, the meetups are packed. And then uh, when the price <laughs> is down like it is now, it uh, is not so packed. So um, I bring that up just to ask, like, have you seen kind of, uh, you know, the, the way you describe Vancouver? Um, it's a pretty interesting place and I, I've never been, you know, I've, I've been to Toronto maybe when I was little, but, um, I'm, a, I'm an American, so I haven't really been to Vancouver or know much about it. Um, have you kind of seen the, I guess the, the push for tech and everything like that in the area, keeping people around and you kind of have that core group and, and people kind of floating in and out, or, um, are you seeing kind of like I described when prices down, uh, numbers are, are down pretty good. Um, so we actually do have a pretty strong core group. Um, so one thing I, I wanted to mention, so first of all, I completely neglected to mention that BTC Sessions is our guest MC for this next one. And he's also hosting two days later his workshop. So he's doing a self-custody workshop um, and he's also doing an advanced cold card workshop that same day, July 16th. I believe he's fully sold out. Um, I don't know that he has any additional openings, but um, you're welcome to email the show or not email. Um, you're welcome to DM the show. Um, if there are any spaces, uh, we'll get back to you if, if that's possible. But yeah, he's going to be here in Vancouver and hosting that uh, also at Adapt Pet Group. And um, yeah, it'll be it'll be really really good. Um, one other important thing is it's not just me. It's uh, it's we run it by executive committee. Uh, none of us have um, time to fully devote. Uh, so uh, the people that are involved are Alex, as mentioned, um, uh, JB55, William Kasaran. Um, we also have Leonard Weiss uh, from Lightning Labs and Jordy, I forget his last name, <laughs> from <laughs> Lightning Labs. And uh, do we have anyone else? Uh, we have a couple other people in the in the exec group. So whoever has time uh, basically focuses on the group and um, puts out the meetup. And then we just kind of all show up and support one another. So it's, it's a really cool way of running things. Um, it's not so much like a distributed leadership model. It's just like, you know, whoever's going to take it for the month takes it and runs with it. And it's interesting to to see. So that's been really, really good. And like I said, really solid group. Um, we do also have a few regulars. And there is another group here in Vancouver called BTC Van. So they just had an event last night. Um, we are, I don't know that we're sister groups. We're certainly, um, you know, we're not competitors. Um, we encourage uh, more, uh, more Bitcoiners in the space. And they have a slightly different format. So they usually have um, talks in more of a social format. Uh, last night they hosted Greg Foss and uh, Greg Foss and Seb Varney, and they had a massive turnout. They were like 180 or something like that. So it was really good. It was at a local place called Beaumont Studios, and um, shout out to them because they're one of the few few event spaces here in Vancouver 
that um, is really unique, independent. Uh, they host conferences. It's like a, a makerspace. It's very cool. And they survived the pandemic. <laughs> They're one of the few places that actually did. Um, that's one thing about Vancouver. It's all about uh, condos and all the cool nightlife just goes by the wayside because it's all it's all developer land, unfortunately. Um, so it's good to see some, some good independent places uh, stay open. And so, yeah, um, so BTC Van, if you want to follow them, they also have monthly events. They're usually the week prior to us, um, and we go out and support their events, and they come to ours, so it's a, it's a good scene. That's awesome stuff. So, yeah, you, you guys are getting quite a few meetups, I'm sure. Maybe uh, down the road, if it gets even bigger now, you, you'll have another one that splits off and does it another week, and then <laughs> you'll have sister ones every single week. So if somebody wants uh, to attend a Bitcoin meetup, they just got to attend Vancouver uh, certain week you could probably find one it seems like so that's awesome mm -hmm. stuff it seems like definitely a growing community there and uh yeah i mean sounds like you guys have had some big name guests i mean you said uh btc van had greg foss you guys have btc sessions i mean awesome big names in the space and uh a lot of support in canada i mean i i mm -hmm. you know i interact with a lot, quite a few canadians just because uh i'm friends with joey and lynn from the canadian bitcoiners and uh yeah, it seems like a lot of great stuff going on in there. So, and a lot of uh, development and growth and, and everything like that. So awesome stuff to hear, um, you know, out of Vancouver and everything like that. And uh, yeah, let's move on to the last, or no, the next thing oh. that, that you're working on here is uh, the Teams Satoshi. So um, I believe it's founded by Vitus Zeller. Is that, I'm not sure if I put it Vitus, okay. And uh, it's, so it's a Bitcoin and fitness group. Um, so why don't you go into that? Uh, you know, how does it kind of combine both Bitcoin and fitness? Um, and what is, uh, I guess, the overarching mission of uh, Team Satoshi? Sure. Um, so before I do, um, I do have to do a quick shout out to our uh, one of our new sponsors, Bull Bitcoin. So I'm really happy to say that we're, uh, we're sponsored by them. They are Canada's oldest Bitcoin business. Uh, definitely OGs and very strong um, Bitcoin only company. So we're, we're honored to be sponsored by them. So thank you, Bull Bitcoin. Um, so Team Satoshi, uh, so is sponsored or sponsored, founded by Vita Seller. And it was basically, it was an experiment, I think, at the beginning. He's been a Bitcoiner for a long time and uh, he's been in, big into fitness. Uh, there's a whole group that are um, that are part of the leadership team that are like ultra marathoners and like, you name it. <laughs> I, um, I definitely felt out of my depth uh, in the, the first few meetings. Um, I've always been very involved in fitness. I've always been very active, um, but yeah, I mean, they take it to the next level. It's pretty awesome. So basically what Vitas did is uh, he did a, I think it was a bike trip um, up from Munich um, up to, I forget the exact ones, but um, if you go to his uh, his YouTube page, which is Team Satoshi, or if you go to TeamSatoshi.org, it talks about the initial um, where where from and where to. And he basically paid with Bitcoin the entire way, or tried to pay with Bitcoin, and he was successful except for two days. Um, so it was talking to local merchants and saying, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm trying to pay with Bitcoin, um, and most of the time he was able to, even if they didn't accept Bitcoin. Uh, so they take a chance on it, and it was pretty cool. Um, and what we do is we have sports challenges. So we have um, we have Bitcoin uh, Pizza Day. We do a run, uh, celebrate by eating pizza after. Uh, we did a halving challenge, which was really cool. So the the last halving, um, all of this is again on the the YouTube. Uh, we basically had the beginning block um, of the the old reward and sorry, the last block of the old reward and the beginning block of the new reward. 
Um, so we, uh, what do we do? The, the, whole, the whole plan was to have people exercising and kind of broadcast during those and make sure that they're exercising during those. And it's sort of you're exercising. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was a really, it was a good concept. So we had people from all around the world participating. Uh, Tone Vase uh, also, uh, he had a having show. Um, I spoke with him just after and he participated, which is pretty cool. Um, we had teams all around the world who were doing things like ice swimming. Like <laughs> it was pretty, pretty intense. Um, so it was, uh, it was really good. We also were part of, so there's Run for Health In every uh, January uh, 3rd to 10th, which is uh, put on by the uh, ALSA, or sorry, ALSA Golden West chapter um, out of California. And uh, we, I guess, Bitcoin Runners, which was, again, kind of a sister group to Team Satoshi. Um, some of the founding members are parts of each. Um, they reached out to us and said, hey, do you want to be part of this? And within two weeks, um, we managed to raise, um, well, we didn't manage to raise it, but we managed to get enough of a word out to, I think it was something like $40,000 was raised. Um, so was really successful. We're going to do that again this year. We've actually, uh, we talk about usually once a month, um, the organizing group and um, we'll, uh, we'll do something as well for, for January. So if anyone wants to get involved, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, you can either reach out to Vitas directly at Team Satoshi, Team Satoshi O on Twitter. And uh, you can reach out to myself as well or um, any of my other channels. And um, Crypto Graffiti is uh, also really, was really instrumental in getting us connected in there. So uh, we really appreciate that. So it's a good crew and uh, it's for a great cause. Um, it's for fighting um, ALS. And yeah, uh, it's also to honor, of course, Hal Finney, famous cryptographer who uh, first started running Bitcoin in, um, when it first started. That's awesome stuff. Wow. So uh, it sounds like you guys do a lot of running and everything like that. And uh, you know, I I ran cross country and track in, in college, but I have no desire to be one of those ultra marathoners. So good on them for uh, for running that many miles and uh, or kilometers, whatever. I mean, it, that that just it just blows my mind. I don't know why somebody wants to run for that long, but hey, you know, good on them for doing all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so let's get into, so you, you've also written some things and you, you work, you wrote for, uh, you know, BTC times and coincidentally I did as well at one point. Um, and so you also wrote for Citadel 21. So how has, uh, I guess writing in the space kind of affected you? Have you, uh, you know, kind of found yourself, did you find yourself more so like researching things and topics in the space, uh, on your own and you figured, you know, why not write? Uh, a little bit for it? Or did you just kind of always have some sort of like inclining to, to write and, uh, you know, get the word out on Bitcoin? Yeah, so I take a slightly creative approach. Um, I want people to uh, think bigger, dream bigger, and focus their sites like we live in a we live in a world that's um, it's pretty broken. All of our systems are pretty broken. I think we've seen that in the last couple of years, you know, uh, people have kind of, we saw rumblings of it in 2008. And um, it definitely now, I mean, I think blinders have been ripped off in, in most cases. Um, and you just see like the, the general, I mean, I wouldn't say it's evil or anything like that, but I think there's just general corruption all around the world. And, you know, um, positions of power breed corruption. It's just that simple. 
And so I think a lot of that power has gone unchecked uh, for many years. Uh, maybe it's masqueraded under certain forms of fairness, but uh, you look under the hood a little bit and uh, it's quite concerning. So um, one of the things that I do is I, I channel, um, I guess I try to channel that into creativity uh, like what I feel about the, like you can kind of implode on yourself and think like, oh, the world's, you know, <laughs> going to hell in a handbasket, what now? And um, it's, that's not productive. Like you still have to live in the world. You still have, you know, friends, family, um, you know, you've got to create your own path and you can't let that stuff get you down. It's good to, it's good to recognize that it's there um, and because not knowing that it's there uh, can also be harmful and you know there's something to be said about ignorance is bliss and I think anyone who has any degree of knowledge of what's what's going on in the world um, wishes that they didn't know to some degree but um, I mean at the same time like you can't know everything of course and I think what it ultimately comes down to is too much power breeds corruption and whoever is making money you know follow the money and you'll you'll draw some conclusions um, so yeah, I, the first piece that I wrote for Citadel 21, um, it was kind of a rally cry. It was called Phoenix. And um, I just looked at the world and we were three months into the pandemic shutting down. And I was just horrified at like how, I don't know, how Machiavellian our leaders were being and how like people were full, you know, full of fear. Uh, nobody knew what was going on. And the, you know, the only solution was, okay, clamp down and you started seeing all of these other, ah, you saw like just atrocious, just atrocious human behavior happening globally. Uh, you start seeing protests about anything and everything. And, you know, I think the civic right to protest is important, but you start seeing just mass violence just based on just, I don't know, I think some of it was just pent up anger that people were feeling. And I don't know what the, the root causes were. That's actually not a great word to use, what the causes were. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was just, it was appalling. And, you know, it was really hard to find, I guess, some, any grain of truth, you know, with what was going on. Nobody knew, like, you know, are we in this deadly pandemic? You know, people are dying, people are getting sick, what's going on? Things aren't, aren't starting to make, you know, things, are, things don't make sense. Um, and I think that was the... The general, I mean, that's that's definitely what I experienced. And then, of course, you look at all the people who had like the really harsh lockdowns, and it's just, I think we're going to look back and we're going to see that we all have global, uh, globally, we have PTSD from that, um, at least in the harsher climates. And like, if you can, like, not being able to see your family members, like, that's just, like, who in their right mind thinks that they can make that decision um, based on, you know, fuzzy data? Like, that's just not okay. So Phoenix was a bit of a rally cry. And I just wanted to say, look, like, you know, what, uh, what you might be feeling, like others feel it too, and others see it too. And yeah, there's something wrong. And that led to that led to me speaking uh, in Prague, uh, the Hackers Congress that fall, um, I kind of continued that thread. And um, then I turned to a little bit more creative with my other works. Um, so um, yeah, that was the start. Uh, BTC Times was very um, research-based. So I spoke to a lightning developer um, and it was, um, it was good. It was a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot, a lot, a lot of work. I don't know if you experienced this, but um, with BTC Times, they have a pretty thorough editing process. So I think I had like 
20 hours of revisions like from start to finish so it was uh, it was good though um and it's nice to get that um outside um i guess opinion of writing like you know bring this out more and like you know make this less wordy and um there's definitely an art to be able to get your point across in as few words as possible that makes for a stronger piece um without glossing over the details so it's a bit of an art doing that um so that was great and then the other Three pieces that I have in Citadel 21 are focused on, uh, it's a complete creative departure. It's awesome, um, I think. <laughs> it started out, it started, it's basically um, a sci-fi vision of a hyper-Bitcoinization hyper uh, future. So what does it look like when Bitcoin is a, not just a global currency, but a galactic currency standard? Like, what does that, what does that mean, right? Um, so it has, you know, it explores concepts like citadel worlds and artificial intelligences and like all sorts of other things, multi-planetary systems. And it started out as a scene. So it will eventually work itself into a book. I have the outline written, um, of course, in all of my free time, which I have exactly none of, <laughs> um, you know, I, I will be developing it, but it's going to take some time. And so what I wanted to do with Citadel 21 is be a little bit more detailed in some of the chapter expert excerpts so I can go into more detail. And what I want the purpose of um, the works that I'm doing, I want that to really plant seeds in people. So I want them to think about, okay, like things are messed up right now, but 10 years in the future, um, if everything goes um, according, according to plan, but if everything goes um, positively and you know we, we get away from this, uh, this CDBC nonsense um, into a more self-sovereign world, uh, what might that look like? And what might it look like if we have all this amazing technological advancement that's like just right there? What if all that happens? Uh, what happens then? And so yeah, definitely take the time to read it. Support Citadel 21. Um, Havana and Katia have built something amazing. They have a great team behind them as well. Um, and yeah, I uh, highly encourage you to check it out. Yeah, for sure. And let, let, I'd like to, you know, go back a little bit to what you were talking about at the beginning, because I think you know, the, your first piece in Citadel 21 Phoenix is definitely, you know, a point that, that a lot of people do not talk about enough. And, mm. you know, I'm, I'm in Florida, so, you know, I'm a little bit different, I had a little bit different of an experience probably than you did in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's really interesting and like, like people aren't going to really talk about, you know, there's, the effects of people, you know, being locked down and, and away from their families, but there's also, you know, the, the effects of the older generation, like locking them down and, you know, keeping them segregated from their families and alone by themselves in their last dying years. And, you know, especially limiting kids and, and, you know, not, not seeing facial expressions, like seeing like all these kind of developments that we're going to see long-term um, just for, you know, I guess a short-term panic uh, kind of based off some preliminary data is something that, you know, I think a lot of people, like you said, are just not really going to come back from and they're not really going to change. And, you know, I, I mean, in Florida, you know, there's a lot of uh, like, you'll, you'll go to a grocery store, ba barely anybody's wearing a mask or, or doing anything of that nature. But there are a few people that are still, you know, very scared like that, wearing gloves everywhere and just, very mm -hmm. now germophobic and everything like that. And, um, you know, I, I just think uh, using that, that fear tactic is going to have a lot of long-term effects uh, that, that we won't, won't really know uh, how that's going to affect the society long-term. And I hope like, you know, eventually people could come out of it, but I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there that 
you know, just, just won't, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely criminal what's happened. I mean, there are no other words. Uh, people are like, ah, that's an overreaction. What are you talking about? Like, you know, wearing a mask, like, oh, it's a huge assault to your civil liberties. But if you look at the beginning part and you look at the people that were warning and you look at where we are now, that, you know, basically 20 years of, um, I guess, trying to the right word, um, 20 years have passed in, in the wrong direction. So, you know, we're seeing all of this massive overreach. And, you know, when we start asking questions and you start saying, okay, well, show me the data. Oh, well, uh, you know, people tried to hide the data. And it's like, if you can't ask questions, there's a reason. And there's somebody who is profiting on the other end. Um, and they don't want you to see the data because it's going to be contra to what they're telling you. And all of a sudden their profit stream is going to dry up. So unfortunately, we live in a world where, um, I mean, money, well, the old fiat system is still thinks it's king. It certainly isn't, though. So, Yeah, for sure. And that kind of, uh, I guess, leads into the, the next story. So, um, you know, if you've been on Bitcoin Twitter, you've probably seen Nick Carter versus the Bitcoin maxis. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a story that keeps on giving. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of back and forth that keeps going. Nick Carter went on the Bankless podcast and basically said that, you know, in the end, he might have ended Bitcoin maximalism. And, my, and then now he's kind of blocking off a lot of these big Bitcoin Twitter kind of names. Um, but in my opinion, I think he kind of likes the attention and he keeps digging himself like a little bit of a bigger grave so to speak. But essentially, Bitcoin maximalists have kind of been going at him because his uh, firm keeps, uh, you know, venture capital firm keeps funding a lot of these shitcoin companies and sponsoring a lot of these shitcoin companies. Um, but I mean, I think at the end, like, he never really said he was like a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, but he did a lot for the space. So I'm kind of conflicted. Um, but, you know, you know, how do you feel, I guess, about the term Bitcoin maximalist and like how, you know, Bitcoin only and, uh, you know, that that kind of uh, realm is viewed? Um, do you think like the Bitcoin maximalist view is, is justified, like being Bitcoin, Bitcoin only and kind of sticking your foot down? Or do you think, you know, we can kind of dance around this whole, um, I guess, shit coinery world and just kind of hope that, once they get rug pulled or, or something happens that they kind of uh, find their way to Bitcoin only. Yeah. I mean, to me, the only uh, cryptocurrency out there that's actually money is Bitcoin. And it's the only one that has sound principles. So, you know, is there innovation happening in other coins? Perhaps, but it's not money. I mean, it's they're unregistered securities, full stop. And, you know, do you want to, um, do you want to use some of the tech in your project? Maybe, but it's not money. And, I think Bitcoin was created because money was basically becoming valueless. And you look at all the money printing that's happened around the world and you look at the debt. Um, Greg Foss gave a really great talk last night where he goes into a lot of the fundamentals. And if people don't know uh, or don't follow him, I highly encourage you to. Um, I also encourage you to look at WTF Happened in 1971. Great website. Um, and then, you know, just look around and, and start doing your own research and start asking, like, you know, if you're if you're not a Bitcoiner yet, um, start asking yourself, what is money? And it seems like a really simple question, but we are never taught that in school. And we're never taught that in school because the people that benefit, it's, uh, it's not to their benefit to tell you. Um, even if you're in economics, like people are, you know, it's sort of the, uh, the unkept or the, I guess the, the inside secret. And um, 
it's a shame because, you know, people work their whole lives. Like you look at the average middle-class family, you know, in the seventies before um, the uh, gold standard was completely removed from the monetary supply. And like they had great prospects. And now you've got, you know, there was maybe like one parent working, one parent staying home, taking care of the kids. You had the sense of a nuclear family. And then if you look at 1971, and you look at all the chaos that happened in that one year alone. I mean, every chart just—it's just—it's a—it's an inflection point, and uh, not in a good way. So you start seeing, you know, destruction of the nuclear families, destruction of traditional values, um, all in, in the name of progress. And if you really look back and examine what happened, um, and who was again, who was benefiting, why things were done. Um, taking the dollar off the gold standard was actually supposed to be temporary. And that's not something that a lot of people know. It's supposed to be for a few months. And of course, oh, let's just keep it. It's it's working in our favor. Like, come on. <laughs> like, people wonder why we have no faith in institutions, right? Um, but again, it's uh, with immense power comes the uh, opportunity for immense corruption and making a lot of money. And that that is just irresistible for most people. Um, I think if you examine it honestly, um, I would say there's probably 10% of the people in the world who are immune uh, to any kind of um, bribery or financial enrichment, uh, if they really, you know, if, if it really came down to it. So, you know, in terms of Bitcoin maximalism, um, yes, I mean, this is the face of a Bitcoin maximalist. Like, you know, we're, we're principled and it comes down to like, just don't shill people garbage and tell them it's gold. It's just, it's not. Um, look at why Bitcoin was created in the first place. Look at the economic conditions in which it was created. Um, I mean, the global economy basically exploded in, in 2008. Um, and shortly after, Bitcoin was there. And I think it's been an incredible um, hedge uh, that is this small piece that somehow maintains value and kind of holds a little bit of order in the world. Uh, in the world that we're told, uh, that we're brought up, uh, that exists. And it, it is still there. You just have to look pretty deep for it. No, I agree with you 100%. And I, I think you, you'd be surprised that how many people that uh, maybe don't pay attention to their money or things like that still believe that we we might be on the gold standard still. <laughs> nope. <And> so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I think like just people in general, you know, we, we get caught in this kind of like Bitcoin maxi bubble, maybe sometimes on Twitter, I, I find myself doing it. But I think the average person just kind of has no idea. And, you know, you look at a lot of these things, um, you know, you could look at pictures even from like 1971, you'll see bunch of people in shape you know on the beach or something like that relaxing having like that and obviously in, in america obesity rates gone up birth rates have gone down um you know just generally signs of a very unhealthy society have kind of ticked upward and mm -hmm. i don't think people realize like at the end of the day that kind of all trickles back to 1971 and the biggest thing that happened there there's a dollar coming off the, uh, you know, the gold standard. And like you said, how much corruption can happen from that. And that's simply mm -hmm. just from the manipulation of the monetary policy. And I don't know if like the average person really realizes how much money plays a role in everything, whether mm -hmm. it's food quality, whether it's, you know, quality of education, where it's quality of almost everything. And, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. It's like we were never really taught any of this in school 
Well, I, I, I'm not necessarily because I don't, I don't think like many of the teachers, maybe they don't realize it, but I think, you know, at the end of the day too, uh, the institutions are the ones that benefit from it. And, uh, you know, maybe that two to 3% inflation rate is just kind of so ingrained into everybody. They never really question it. And they just kind of believe, Hey, you know, this is the, uh, the status quo at the end of the day. So, um, I think it, it affects a lot. And I think, uh, you know, there, there's definitely got to be a change sometime soon. And we obviously here think that it, it's going to be Bitcoin. But I think, you know, a lot of these um, Bitcoin maxis uh, are going at people just because they're they're upset. And, um, you know, I think they have a right to be kind of upset with how things are going because they're finally realizing it. And they're like, you know, now that they've realized it, it's so obvious. Why don't you see it too um, mm-hmm. sort of thing? And uh you know, maybe some people don't like it, but because they're going at other people at Twitter. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's something that that needs to be done to kind of drill through some of these things. Because, like I said, you know, some people are hard headed, and at the end of the day, a lot of these ideal or ideologies and you know, the status quo has been drilled into you know your head for I don't know, however many years you're in school. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just you know a sign of. Uh, a community screaming, you know, from the top of a, a mountain, like, Hey, open up your eyes, but, uh, to each their own. And I, and I hope like, you know, a lot of people that that see this situation kind of look at, you know, how, uh, you know, Nick Carter and other people have reacted towards it and, you know, ask themselves why the crowds have been going kind of at these people and, uh, look into to Bitcoin a little bit further and thus maybe, you know, see the power behind it. So I hope good things come out of it for sure. They will. Anytime that a, an actual discourse is allowed to happen and run its course is important. Um, one of the other things that I think is seriously harming society and just people in general is the, um, the ridiculous amounts of censorship that's happening in terms of, oh, we have to protect people from misinformation. Like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, do you remember, do you ever remember a time in your life where you couldn't have a conversation and like some words were forbidden? Like in Canada, we have, uh, so Jordan Peterson's pretty famous uh, up here for going against the status quo and, and good on him. Um, we have compelled speech and uh, it's, I don't know what the, how punishable it is, but um, there is a law in the books, uh, I C-11, that uh, you look into Jordan Peterson and he'll go deep into it. Um, but basically, we have compelled speech, and you have to call people, you know, by certain pronouns. Um, it's just, it's literally written into the laws in our country. And like, that's, I'm sorry, but that's too far. And where it starts, I think, is it's, um, I think it appeals to people's better nature. Um, you know, it starts as a soft pedaling. It's like, well, you know, what you're saying, the words that you're saying, it really upsets this person. Can you maybe say them in a different way? And it's like, oh, okay, well, sure, that makes sense, you know. Okay. And then it's just a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And then all of a sudden we're living in a world where people can't define women. <laughs> like, you know, and the fact that like even saying men and women is just, I mean, that can get kicked out of most polite society. And it's, it's ridiculous. Like we have lost our mind as a human race. Like if we, the more we, the more we 
we buy into this and the more that we just sit by and idly allow this to happen. And I don't think coming back at it um, full force is the, the right answer either. I think just start putting out reasoned conversations. Start start calmly asking, like, why do you think that? Or start challenging things and just make sure that you're supporting voices that dissent. Uh, because if you don't, pretty soon there will be no dissenting voices. And that's a big problem. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I think, you know, a big root of it is is kind of what you said is like, all right, it makes somebody feel some kind of way, right? And so I think uh, a big issue in society is that now everybody has to feel the responsibility of like, you know, how my words make you feel or make somebody else feel. And, you know, like, that's something that you can't really control. And so at the end of the day, people are trying to control that by, you know, essentially walking on eggshells. And I think walking on eggshells uh, has people focus more on, you know, what they're going to say instead of like the point that they're trying to get across. And I think that, you know, hinders creativity. I think it hinders like a proper discussion. I think it, you know, hinders a lot of things. And so, you know, I, I think it's not only, you know, the, all, all these other factors of, of like big overarching things. I think it kind of hinders like the mental health of, of people as well, where it's like, OK, now I have to worry about offending somebody anytime I open my mouth. And I don't think that's you know, a sign of a healthy society at all, because, you know, if I can't sit here and have a conversation with you without worrying about you getting upset or you start to scream at me and then you know I say a word that upsets you and then you insult me like that's never going to have a productive conversation um mm -hmm. so you know I agree with you trying to you know ease into it a little bit but uh you know sometimes those conversations are are a little tougher um than they need to be unfortunately they are um what happens though I, I encourage people to look into two words um had this and now it's of course escaping me. <laughs> um, ah, yes. Narcissism and gaslighting. Look at what narcissists do. Look at the look at the whole mechanism involved in gaslighting. And then look at the world today and draw your own conclusions. The more you play into people's games, um, if they're of a narcissistic nature, um, they'll appeal all sorts of things like, oh, do this because you know it's kind to do this. And uh, yeah, just Listen with both ears, watch with both eyes. Exactly. All right, now let's get into the next story um, because I could feel like I could talk about that all day. But uh, <laughs> Voyager, so Voyager has filed for bankruptcy. Uh, they filed on Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, so they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And what that essentially means, it's a voluntary and it, quote, maximizes value for all stakeholders um, so Voyager and Celsius Network have been linked to Three Arrows Capital, which has also filed for bankruptcy. And it seems almost every company uh, connected to Three Arrows Capital is struggling in some way, shape, or form. Um, so it is a shame that it seems like a lot of these uh, exchanges are kind of rug pulling people and uh, you know stopping withdrawals and all those kind of things. But I think in the end, you know, you brought up earlier how you're having a cold storage uh, workshop with BTC sessions. I think, you know, in the end, it's, it's going to kind of encourage everybody to look into the true power of Bitcoin, which is holding your own keys. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you kind of, you know, agree with that thought that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these exchange rug pulls are going to kind of help in this space? Or do you always kind of feel that there's going to be some sort of room for an exchange? Because, 
you know, maybe the older generation or the less tech savvy will not really uh, trust themselves in order or trust themselves to hold their own keys. Yeah, so that's that's a challenge. I mean, the the right answer isn't hold your own keys, be fully self-sovereign at step one. That's maybe step 20. Um, buy a little bit of Bitcoin, you know, even if it is on an exchange, but take it off the damn exchange. <laughs> like, Hold your own keys, uh, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And I mean, that is that has been a central principle to Bitcoin uh, for a really long time. And, and for good reason. You look at all the exchanges that exploded. Uh, you look at Mt. Gox, you look at Quadriga, um, you look at, you know, the, the new exchanges um, and all of the financial houses that are going through that. Um, again, it comes down to there's there's a, there's a temptation to play with the monetary supply because if you can stretch something, um, if you can write uh, write against it and somehow duplicate it, um, theoretically you might think that you're duplicating it, but it's not actually there's not actually more. So yeah, um, buy Bitcoin for sure, hold it, um, and then uh, take up boating. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard of a lot of these boating accidents where people lose their keys. So it's really unfortunate. Uh, I, for one, have been in such boating cases as well. So that's uh, the true pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Boating accidents. <laughs> um, so speaking of losing Bitcoin, uh, Core Scientific has sold their Bitcoin. So unfortunately, they didn't get in a boating accident to lose all their Bitcoin. They mm -hmm. are a Bitcoin mining company and they've sold quite a bit of their Bitcoin holdings in order to, uh, you know, in order to make payments towards their ASIC mining machines, make additional capital investments and pay down debt. So they've sold a total of 7,202 Bitcoin over the last month at an average price of about 23,000 US dollars. Um, so they announced that they're going to continue to sell a lot of their Bitcoin holdings. Um, mm -hmm. Coincidentally, I think Nick Carter went on uh, Pomp's podcast for what, you know, for those that uh, that listen to that uh, that show, he did say he did have a uh, somewhat of a good point, which um, is that he believes like the bottom is when Bitcoin miners start to kind of sell off a lot of their holdings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you uh, kind of see that, I guess, as maybe like a bottom signal? I'm not saying to predict price or anything like that. But do you see I mean, Bitcoin mining at the end of the day is like a difficult business, right? Energy prices are going to increase fluctuate uh you know finding renewable energy and easy accessible energy um whether that's you know maybe oil flare gas or or some ways to to find cheap uh and use those uh use the resources um to mine bitcoin is probably like going to be the answer in the end but uh you know it's going to take a lot of development and other things like that so do you kind of see uh maybe some of these bitcoin mining companies falling out and uh, having to sell off just to stay afloat? Or do you see this as kind of like, I guess, just a nature of the beast when it comes to Bitcoin mining? So that's the trouble with living in a fiat and not quite yet hyper Bitcoinized world. And do I think that Bitcoin is going to uh, replace the US dollar and all fiat currencies? Probably not. But I do think um, five, 10 years from now, there'll probably be a basket of currencies um, I do see the U.S. dollar no longer being the global reserve currency, um, but I don't think it'll be Bitcoin. I think it'll be probably 10 currencies 
I think there's really strong support for um, uh, different countries like China and Switzerland, the Swiss, or sorry, yeah, Swiss franc. Um, anything that is backed by gold that still holds some traditional sense of value. If you look at the countries that actually still hold uh, gold, Canada has none, by the way, but we have uh, maple syrup. <laughs> Whatever good uh, that's going to do for us. Um, it's a little embarrassing to be a Canadian sometimes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look, when it comes to companies that, uh, that need to divest, okay. So if you're a public company, you have a board and you have shareholders to answer to. Answer to. So if you have to make corrections, you either divest your assets or your people. Um, and it doesn't matter what kind of company you are, but that, that is typically the, the hard decision that you have to make to make sure that you have enough cash for operations or you borrow against that. Um, so that I, it sounds like that's the situation that they're in. Um, I think it's a it's a pretty bad call to get rid of their Bitcoin for uh, fiat, but I understand the the need to have some liquidity. Um, I don't know, like it's tough. If you look at other market makers, um, like you look at Michael Saylor, I'm certain that he's probably buying more Bitcoin. Um, you know, Naiba Kaley is buying more Bitcoin. Like you look at all of the the rising centers of power. What are they doing when everyone else is selling their Bitcoin? They're buying your Bitcoin. They're buying more Bitcoin. So, I mean, in the end, money flows to the strongest hands. And I think that that is ultimately a good thing. I think it's horrible if anyone's been caught in the crosshairs, if they've, you know, lost their job because of um, the market and, and, you know, those tough decisions having to be made. Um, I've, I've definitely felt that as well. Um, but it's a, it's a hard call and it's part of the rocky road towards hyper-Bitcoinization and Bitcoin really being a, a global currency um, on the scale that it should be. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think like it's yeah, difficult market conditions for not only, you know, Bitcoin and the crypto realm, um, <laughs> but it's difficult market conditions for every company. You know, I think uh, we're kind of... Uh, probably creeping into a little bit of a recession, hopefully not a depression, but I don't really have too much faith with where we're going right now. Um, and so, you know, be, because of all this, it, companies are probably going to have to lay people off and that's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's, it's either the people or the assets. Um, and so Core Scientific chose, uh, chose the assets in this case and, you know, maybe it'll pay off for them in the end, but, uh, you know, it's unfortunate to see them selling Bitcoin. But on the flip side, you did mention Bukele. Mm -hmm. And the next story is El Salvador, who's bought 80 more Bitcoin. So like 80 doesn't sound <laughs> like a lot for, for a country, but I think he just buys just to, uh, you know, maybe throw out a tweet and uh, go at some people a little bit on Twitter. But uh, I mean, it's funny because he, he set the, or he sent out a tweet um, showing like screenshots of his buys and it seems like he's just DCAing in like the rest of us. Um, so he's almost <laughs> like one of us. But um, so, so what do you think of like, you know, these big players like like a sailor, like a Bukele, who have like this incredible conviction? Because like you said, you know, when you run a public company or you're leader of a, a nation, you have a lot of outside noise and a lot a lot of outside influences that, you know, can definitely sway your your view on something or have some sort of influence on you. And so 
you know, what I like about Bukele is that I feel like at every turn he, he kind of puts his foot down and, and digs his feet in a little bit more and, you know, buys more Bitcoin and same thing with mm-hmm. Sailor. Um, and you know, I, I, it just is incredible to me with the amount of money that they're dealing with and the, uh, you know, amount of influence. So, uh, you know, what do you think of, uh, El Salvador's position and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess Sailor to, to another extent as well. So I think that they're making smart decisions. I mean, if you look at, I'm, I mean, that's the understatement of the century. <laughs> but seriously, like they, you know, Sailor is arguably one of the one of the smartest people in the space. You know, he, you don't have a, a company that's uh, gotten to where it's gotten um, by not knowing how to read trends and look at information and, and handle things correctly. Like you, you just don't. Um, so the fact that he's all in on Bitcoin, I think, is very, very smart. And I think he will probably be, um, you know, they'll be they'll be valued um, pretty high when uh, when Bitcoin does recover. And I think it will. And it, it's not so much like you have to remember we're pricing Bitcoin in a devalued currency. Right. So you have to factor that in. Um, yeah. I think Sailor's making a good call. And I really applaud um, the country of El Salvador to make Bitcoin. Like they have said, you know, they put a a stake in the sand and said Bitcoin is currency. And so now that is something that all other countries can follow by example. And I think the smart countries, uh, maybe they're not part of the, you know, the top performers, traditional top performers that have central banks and other garbage. (laughs) I'm going to have to move after this. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. but that, that's awesome. But, you know, I agree with you. You know, I think El Salvador is showing a lot of, you know, moxie just digging their feet in. But mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, how do you feel about, I, I guess, the success of El Salvador when it's coming to the implementation? Because I think, you know, like a more developed nation, maybe like the United States or Canada, they couldn't really afford to bring in a new currency like Bitcoin and kind of go through some of the ups and downs that El Salvador is kind of going through. And so, uh, you know, how do you think like if El Salvador takes a while and, it, and it's unsuccessful for, you know, maybe the next couple of years, if that's, uh, you know, going to be a big issue or do you think, you know, they, they kind of have like a longer time horizon. So at the end of the day, you know, they'll be all right. So they're already doing better than they were. Um, I look, remember looking at the numbers probably about six months ago, and uh, they were in a much better financial, much better financial shape than they were traditionally. Um, and I think the more countries that understand that, that start taking Bitcoin um, as payment for things, um, they start realizing that oh, there's value there. Okay, well, maybe the traditional central banking model doesn't see it that way, but um, in the new the new world and whatever that ends up being. And I don't know, are we transitioning to some new world? Are we trying to fix the old world that's horribly broken? Maybe, I don't know what the end state's going to be, but um, I think having a little bit of Bitcoin, I think countries that take a chance on it, that understand the technology, um, I think are going to be in a better position. And also you look at all the people that are in the top that benefit significantly from the existing financial system. Like, you know, they're all saying things like, you know, Bitcoin's rat poison and all sorts of other things. Yeah, it is. It's rat poison to them. And it's rat poison to a system that is predatory and has no basis of value any longer. So I think countries, if they want to participate in the global economy, 
and not the CDB nonsense world, but um, a world where there's actual value, I do think that holding a little bit of Bitcoin is going to be really important. And remember, um, most banks right now are insolvent. Um, that's just not widely promoted because, I mean, you think things are bad now. Yeah, what, wait until there's a run on the banks, right? So having something that is transferable that you can take with you, that if your country is imploding and there's all of a sudden no resources, there's no other way to pay for things. I mean, you probably want to have a combination of like gemstones, um, gold coins or something that you can carry or some kind of inherent value. And of course, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the most important thing. Um, and people say, oh, well, what if there's like an EMP or something and, you know, there's, we can't, you know, propagate the, the blockchain. Well, there's, there are people that are working on ways to, to do that where there's, there's no power required. And there's all sorts of other reco recovery systems. It's a hardened system. It's a battle hardened system. So Bitcoin, for the love of God, Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, in a, in a growing digital world, uh, if, uh, you know, all power and uh, internet and everything like that is shut off globally, I think we'd have a lot bigger issues than, uh, you know, just, uh, just Bitcoin. I mean, like at the end of the day, I don't know if I, I wouldn't have any access to my own physical money right now as it is. Cause I, you know, I think people as it is use the little plastic card, they swipe the credit card, debit card, all that kind of stuff. I think, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, my generation, probably the generation under me and, uh, is very, uh, I guess, card heavy and digital money heavy as it is. So I think they kind of relate a little bit more uh, to Bitcoin. And, you know, I think that's not necessarily like a worry for, for them. But, you know, I can at the end of the day, too, when I when I go places or I'm going on long road trips or something like that, my mom's always like, I hey, pull out some cash. I'm like, I don't want to pull out some cash because I have to go to the ATM and then I have to pay money to get my own money out. And it just doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of development that still needs to be done in the Bitcoin space, but it is being done. And I think it's being done at a very quick pace. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited for all the things that, that come forward. And I think there's a lot of development and a lot of push for it as well. And speaking of push, um, we're rolling into the next story, which is Duke Energy is now researching Bitcoin mining. So mm -hmm. If you haven't heard of Duke Energy, they're the second largest energy corporation in the United States, um, and they're looking into Bitcoin mining for quote Bitcoin's utility. And so they're looking able they're looking at being able to strategically locate miners on the system. And uh, some of Duke customers are already using Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin mining equipment on their grid. So they're looking at kind of like placing them in strategic locations to kind of help power the grid and make sure that, you know, everything is still running smoothly. Um, and so, yeah, what, what do you think of, uh, you know, a lot of these, I don't know, it's very popular for you know, oil and gas companies to kind of get in and, you know, maybe we might see some, some solar companies start to start to get in as well. But do you think that we're, this is going to be kind of a, a trend and Duke energy is kind of leading that where a lot of these, uh, you know, energy and utility companies are going to start uh, looking into Bitcoin mining? Or do you still think like, you know, maybe Duke is just an off end and this is going to be one case and we won't see another company like this get in till, you know, maybe five, 10 years down the road? Well, I know that Duke is not the only one. So uh, they definitely made a smart decision. Uh, up here in North Vancouver, there is a company called Mint Green. So uh, CEO Colin uh, talks about um, spoke at BTC Van, uh, the very first one. 
uh, talking about what the what they're doing and basically they're reclaiming so they have a bunch of bitcoiner bitcoin miners under uh, a library in north vancouver and they're utilizing the power to um, to run electricity through um, a certain subsection within north vancouver so that's pretty cool um i think other companies that are looking to do that like why would you not <laughs> like you know if you can't if uh if the if the projects that you were looking to um, to do are shut down for whatever reason, um, do what you can. And I mean, if you've got the infrastructure to run Bitcoin mines, I mean, it's a, it's an obvious no-brainer. Why would you not run Bitcoin miners? Um, even if you you lose a little bit, the amount of um, the amount of energy that companies like a, an energy company like you look at somebody like a BC Hydro, like if they're not mining Bitcoin. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but I would hope that they are. And I hope that other utilities are. Uh, it's just, it's such a perfect fit. Uh, oil and gas companies, uh, again, any anything that is close to any kind of power, any kind of renewable power. Um, I mean, that's the other thing about Bitcoin. People are like, ah, oh, Bitcoin's boiling the oceans. And that is such horseshit. Pardon me for swearing. Um, but it is. Like, it, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it takes a lot of money to secure or a lot of energy to secure the Bitcoin blockchain, but for good reason. And, you know, so what do we need to do in that sense? Like, well, okay, maybe we need to look at different things like solar and wind, um, how those can be incorporated into the solution. And maybe 10% of your power comes from there. And then it's a nice, easy transition into um, the quote unquote greener environment. Um, I mean, yeah, like, do we need coal power to power everything probably not i think you know that we've got other forms of you know power like nuclear power and hydroelectric power and geothermal power and solar um, so let's start looking at those solutions and i think companies that are looking at incorporating bitcoin mining and incorporating bitcoin in their solution in whatever way be it bitcoin or the lightning network um yeah uh, look for companies that are innovating in that space and i think you know if you if you're still in the the stock market god help you <laughs> if you are um yeah maybe look at investing in those companies um and then whatever gains you have take them up and buy bitcoin there you go yeah <laughs> you know i i agree with you 100 percent. i think yeah as it as i stated a little bit earlier a lot of these companies are going to try to find ways to maybe utilize some excess energy whether it's flare gas or everything like that especially in, you know, such an inflationary time where overhead costs are getting more expensive. You know, people are demanding a little bit higher salaries to kind of combat that, you know, and companies are having to pay up. And I think, you know, in order to kind of slow down or help slow down, maybe some of these like rising costs, uh, I think, you know, first, you know, taxation and other things like rising, uh, maybe not help, maybe doesn't help and a little bit easier access to capital. But another way to, you know, kind of combat that is using that excess energy and all the resources that they can to, to mine Bitcoin, because, you know, that that's an easy way to kind of earn some profit there too. So I think uh, we'll see more companies kind of come online and come to this uh, conclusion as well. Um but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some pushback or some regulation. And so um, the EU now is pushing for more surveillance on some Bitcoin transactions. So they kind of uh, came out a while ago and say that they were developing this. Um, but I didn't know, you know, how strict they were going to be or anything like that. I had a feeling they were going to be somewhat strict. But um, a member of the EU parliament actually took to Twitter to kind of shed some light on some of the upcoming 
uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency legislation. So they want to monitor some unhosted wallets and they want to verify uh, identity of beneficiary owners of wallets looking to transfer more than a thousand euros worth of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So if I had an unhosted wallet and I wanted to send 1000 uh, plus worth of Bitcoin over to you, uh, it would not only like require KYC for me, but it would also require KYC from you as well. Um, so it seems like, you know, they're, they're kind of moving a little bit towards maybe the uh, CBDC realm where they, they want to monitor all these things. Um, and I could see a lot more of these countries kind of start to de develop that because they see, you know, maybe the power of the an anonymity of Bitcoin or the possibility of that. And uh, yeah, so, so how do you think this all kind of plays out? Do you see you know, the development of CBDC is kind of happening because, uh, you know, like like we stated earlier, a lot of these governments are going to see the power of, uh, you know, their power kind of taken away. Or do you see, um, you know, some countries kind of uh, like El Salvador embrace Bitcoin and people just kind of start voting with their legs and flocking to some of these, uh, you know, more friendly uh, and less controlling countries? Yeah, I think, oh, I mean, that's that's a loaded question, <laughs> but an important one to talk about. Um, surveillance capitalism is awful. Like, if you look at some of the biggest financial crimes are done by traditional financial institutions. And what do they get? They get a, a slap on the wrist. And they want to they wanna have the audacity to scrutinize uh, small payments from just everyday persons. I think that's why, like, where is that need from control coming from? Like people will say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's for safety and it's to prevent like crime and trafficking and all these horrible, terrible things. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of awful things that happen in the world. Um, is the everyday average person responsible for those? Probably not. Um, so why the need to control? And I mean, it's just, <laughs> I have some words to say about that, but I won't. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I think countries that take that overly authoritarian, harsh approach are going to price themselves out of this space. They're, people that are working in um, on the protocols, working in companies that are utilizing Bitcoin or Lightning, I think we're just going to move elsewhere. Like if you all of a sudden say, well, you've got to report on all of your transactions because, you know, blah, 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 legislation about, you know, this magical thing that we've made up. You know, why would a company subject themselves to that? Like you're already seeing um, capital fleeing places that are overly controlling uh, where there's, you know, exorbitant tax rates. And yeah, I mean, <sighs> Taxation without representation, um, those were some words a few few centuries ago that carried some weight. And I think people are realizing um, why those are important. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, I mean, there's, so the opposite side of that, there's tragedy of the commons. If nobody pays for anything, it's just like people, people by their very nature, you know, not everyone is um, kind and, you know, well-meaning. Um, there's always going to be people that are looking for advantage. And one of the best things about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is for enemies. Bitcoin rules uh, by rules. We don't have a CEO. We don't have, you know, a board of directors. We don't have any of those traditional capital controls. Um, we have math. 
and essentially math dictates what the protocol does. So I, I really loved your your tweet where it says, you know, friends and enemies, um, you know, join the show. That's perfect because I mean, it's a realistic look at the world. Um, it's not all sunshine and roses. It's not all doom and gloom. Somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And that's been true for many years and, and many things. Exactly. And I think that's a great place to kind of kind of wrap it up here. So you've been very generous with your time and I really appreciate it. So why don't you tell everybody, I mean, we went over a lot of the stuff that you got <laughs> going on at the beginning, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what you got going on and, uh, you know, how they can help support. Sure. Um, so my main account is Alexandra nine through three on Twitter. Um, you can kind of find all the other accounts through there. Uh, my personal portfolio account or website is advancetech.io. So it's advanced without the D on the end because it's all about moving forward. So advancetech.io um, and everything is linked from there. Uh, the Open Crypto Foundation is opencryptofoundation.com. Um, and we also have a Twitter account, OpenCryptoX. Team Satoshi is Team Satoshi O. Um, yeah, I think in the Advanced Tech Podcast, it's kind of a weird one. It's because uh, the name's too long for uh, it to fit into a full handle. So it's ADV, so abbreviation of Advanced, and then Tech Podcast. So find us there. And we'll um, look for new episodes uh, soon. It takes a, a lot of, um, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of work that goes into producing episodes. Um, so, uh, But there are some really solid recordings uh, with two lightning experts that I'm certain people want to hear from. That's awesome stuff. So everybody go check that out. And I'll also have it all in the show notes and in the uh, video description. So if you know you missed anything or you want to go check back it, so be sure to check out those show notes. And Alexandra, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, everybody go check out the Vancouver Bitcoiner meetup. Um, and uh, yeah, show your support in any way, shape or form that you can. Give her a follow. Uh, and yeah, th this was an amazing conversation. You brought a wealth of knowledge and uh, I'd love to have you back on Happy to. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. And uh, yeah, keep going. Uh, we need more people who are out there speaking the truth. Uh, don't let your distractors uh, drag you down. Just just keep moving forward. Uh, the future is a bright, bright and amazing one. And uh, keep your keep your sights there. Exactly. And that is it for us at the State of Bitcoin podcast.